0: Welcome to the Emerson Hour. My name is Thomas Emerson. This is my father, Craig Emerson, former Member of Parliament, Australian Minister for Trade, and Senior Advisor to former Prime Minister Bob Hawke. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Tom. Good to be here. Thanks, Dad. Dad's here to explain to me how politics works uh, once he's figured it out himself. Yeah, still working on it. Yeah, we'll get there, perhaps. Yeah. In the last episode, we spoke a little bit about how to become a politician, why we should care about politics and those sorts of things. And we said for this uh, conversation, we would discuss or go into a little bit more depth with the topic of the campaign trail itself, campaigning for for election. So I thought a good place to start might be to distinguish between running for election as an independent and running for election as a member of uh, of a party. Why would someone... well? For starters, what does it mean to run as an independent and why would someone choose to do that? Uh, Well, there's
1: a bit of a thing going on with independents at the moment. Uh, They're all pretty much contesting Liberal-held seats at this election. That's not always the case, Uh, but there's probably 10 of them. And um, they're challenging moderate Liberals um, because they think that the coalition government has gone too far to the right on issues such as climate change so um, the national party often um, stokes things up by saying oh well, you know this zero net emissions by 2050 it's dead it's meaningless and so on and then the um independents challenge that view in seats that they think that they can win and that usually is seats of um occupied or held by moderate liberals who generally do believe there's such a thing as human-induced climate change but the independents basically saying well you might believe it but you're in a team that includes people who don't believe there's such a thing as climate change and so they basically say to the people in those electorates if you elect me, I will represent you and I will represent your views, not the views of the National Party as expressed in the coalition. So that's their kind of pitch. Uh, The second big issue beyond climate change uh, for those independents is a National Integrity Commission or an Anti-Corruption Commission. There's been a lot of wasteful spending on grants that have gone overwhelmingly to government uh, marginal seats, Um, and so there's been quite a few scandals about that. And so the coalition government, Mr Morrison, promised there would be a National um, Integrity Commission, but he didn't deliver it, and they're saying they would. Um, And the third issue, which is really important too, is uh, women's issues about support for childcare, um, basically equality in the workplace, Um, Paid parental leave, those sorts of issues. So each of the independents is essentially talking about those issues, plus any local issues um, that are specific to their electorates.
0: And what about more generally than not necessarily in this specific election? Why would someone choose to stop? Perhaps it's is their first time running for election. They would choose to run as an independent rather than a member of a party. Because, of course, you might not agree with, uh, yeah. with the Liberal Party, but you might agree with the Labor Party. Why do you think that happens? Um, because it's a, it's a something that is happening frequently it, regardless. It's, it.
1: it's happening more often in the sense that um, there's more success. Mm-hmm. In okay. any... Uh, of the 151 seats, it'd be surprising if there's no independents. So we don't hear of those um, who run in seats that are easily won by one side of politics or the other. But they're on the ballot paper and they might um, be well-known locally or they just say, I won't be bound by party decisions, I'll make my mind up on each and every issue um for you if you elect me now sometimes that can work but other times people don't even know who they are so they're not going to vote for them
0: okay and so on the the flip side of that running as a member of a party what's the benefit of doing that what are also the costs of doing that because of course you can imagine people like you said not wanting to be bound by yeah. a party so to speak um why would someone choose to run for a party instead of running as an independent well
1: a party i suppose one way of looking at it has a brand Um, and and so someone might run for a party where uh, I suppose it's like anything in life you know a well-recognized brand people associate with that brand and get a lot of information from the quality of that brand so a political party will have that um, just to illustrate the Labor Party is going to be always seen to be more friendly towards working people and trying to get wages up.
0: Hence Labor, right? Labor Party.
1: Yeah, that's the Labor Party. The Liberals... The Laborers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right, hence hence the Laborers, but all sorts of workers. Yeah. The Liberal Party might be seen to be more in support of small business. And so they're just two examples. Um, More philosophically, I suppose overall the liberal and national parties are seen to be conservative which is if one way of putting it if it ain't broke don't fix it Mm. so there's a kind of assurance to those sorts of people in the community that they don't want you know too much to change
2: Mm.
1: well they will tend to vote for liberal or national parties labour party's more progressive and it said you know the word is progress we, we want to make progress we do want to change things um and so there's a psychology in every person um, that you'd find that someone is more conservative in a l- bit less risk taking and just enjoy the sense of certainty mm. even if it's not anywhere near perfect because they're frightened of risk and then there's another you know t- personality type that says well we've got to improve the world and i want to be part of that mm-hmm. so that's one way of explaining the brands it, uh, they actually match up with two personality types right and then then of course there are people in the middle who are a bit of this and a bit of that and that's why elections often are, are determined on the basis of 52% to one party and 48% to another. Um, if you you know were to look at the results of the last 50 years, I think the biggest one was 45-55 or 46-54, um, but most of them are like 51-49. Right. So in that sense, it's probably true that the major political parties are seen to be sort of centrist parties there's not a radical um uh you know very uh, i'm trying to think of a political party like le pen in france you know um really really hard right wing um say anti-muslim anti-immigrant so on so you know we don't have we do have one nation <laughs> um but they don't get many votes and then Uh, On the other side, the left side, you don't have people who... A lot of people in Australia who just want to tear the system down and replace it with a socialist or Marxist system. So both the major political parties are seen to be um, centre-left or centre-right, but not extreme-left or extreme-right.
0: So in in terms of the campaign process itself then, if someone's running as an independent... Uh, partly why I ask is, is you could imagine a world where everyone was running an in, as an independent and that would be a good thing if the concept were to have each individual represent the interests of their electorate as best as possible, right? This, this sense of potentially being beholden to a party because you kind of flagged um, flagged that someone might want to join a party partly to get elected. You're more likely to get elected if you're a member of a party than if you're yeah, a, an independent.
1: that's true, but if this is an argument against independence yeah um what are you getting you're you're getting someone who says they will do what is that which is necessary to get re-elected
0: now um you mean uh, by representing the by, by rep- listening to the yeah populace.
1: so they'll just say well what do the people in my electorate think mm-hmm. now uh, we actually contract out that job to rep- elected representatives and that is they're expected by the people to have views, have ideas and have knowledge. Mm. And so if you're going to work every day, you know, um, whether you're a a dad or a mum, you're looking after the kids and so on, uh, you might be good at your job, you might be good at sport, you might be good at something else. Then you're asked to be good at running the country. Mm. (laughs) And I said, well, hold on, you know, you're supposed to be doing that. But that person is just going to keep coming back to the voters and say, well, what do you think? I don't, ha- I don't have any ideas. You give me the ideas. And a lot of people say, listen, we gave you that job to have the ideas about the future of the country. We're not necessarily experts in that. You know, We're not dentists. We're not architects. We're not politicians. And you keep coming back to me saying you have no idea and you're going to ask us. On every policy issue, you know, a taxation law amendment bill, you know, obscure legislation. Why would we, you know, like you're not doing your job, mm. if you're going to keep coming back to us? And the other um, dimension of it is people, I think, would say, um, well, we we're not, we don't know enough, or even seek to know enough about what is good for the future of the country. So we might know. What's good for the local bowling green or what's good for the local school, Um, you know, the, the, the local park? That's fine. But, you know, I think if you sat down with a dozen electors and say, well, you tell us how you would run the country, they'd say, well, that's not my job. And I haven't given enough thought to it.
0: So a party is there to provide a kind of framework and a backing and a general right. platform, yeah, exactly policy and platform both, and so both on. Both
1: parties do that, so that's why um, mostly um, one of the uh, or the other of the political parties wins a seat. Um, the Greens now in the House of Representatives have one out of 151 seats. Um, now I'm just trying to remember the coalition has 76, uh, Labor has 69. And the rest are independents. My prediction is there'll be more independents after the twenty twenty two election.
0: Hmm.
2: Okay,
1: but I don't think there's going to be thirty more. <laughs> hmm.
0: And so then, you're, you're trying as a as a member of a party who's running, who's campaigning for election, to balance your views. You you have a set of views. Presumably, they don't always align perfectly with the views of the party is there i mean presumably right so you've got your yep. views the party positions official party uh positions policy positions and then the concerns perhaps of your electorate let's yep. say is is that am i missing something or are they the three yeah things that i you're, think generally it, trying you're to right
1: balance? um but party positions uh, are not necessarily there's not a kind of a big book On every conceivable issue saying this is the party position
0: it's more a lens Uh,
1: yeah in the ALP it's called a platform Mm -hmm. and what tends to happen is that it grows gets bigger and bigger because at national conferences people come up with more ideas and then it gets big and then someone comes along says too big and then they cut it back again but it's meant to be uh, this sounds like a left-wing thing but a manifesto Mm -hmm. a, a guide A guide right but that doesn't mean um, when the Parliament is formed that there's a party position already determined on every piece of legislation or every issue that comes in front of the Parliament because the world keeps changing and so the party position on many issues is the position that's determined in the party room Mm. when they are debating that particular issue and people can have very much have an influence on that
0: Mm. Of course, yeah. Can you recall a time where your view departed from that of the party where there was a strong um, difference in what your opinion on a particular issue was and what the party came to view as their official position?
1: Not really. Um, uh, You were
0: just very good at arguing for your view such that it became the party position. Yeah, I
1: I didn't feel that I'd lost the argument Mm -hmm. on... There was one... I won't go into it, but... um, I actually changed the party position just by arguing the case and others said, hey, I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I just don't remember any party positions where I thought, oh, yeah, well, I'll just have to go along with it. Mm. There, I'm not saying that there aren't any, mm. but I'd have to really, really think about it. And the fact that I'd have to really, really think about it tells me that you know, there weren't many and they probably weren't that important.
0: Do you have a sense that between the two major parties, Labour Party, Liberal Party, there are more people within either of those parties that doesn't quite, don't quite agree with the party line? Is there more internal conflict in either of the two parties? I, guess, I suppose it would be hard to,
1: um, to say. Well, within the Labour Party, there's a left and a right, and there used to be a centre-left. Mm. Um, and there's one or two independents within the Labour Party. W- what I mean is that they are not either in the left or the right um Andrew Lee in the ACT is one example of that um but can I put it this way when I was an MP and when we did go out to dinner at night I went out with left wing friends and right wing friends because the values were actually the same Mm -hmm. and that is progress being progressive sometimes I would have disagreements um with some of the left who wanted high um, tariff barriers and i'm more on the free trade side but i never thought that they were bad people it was the means to an end and the end was you know, greater prosperity higher wages we both agreed on that they would argue to keep tariffs up i would argue to bring them down and but we could go out and have dinner and talk about other things or or just accept that we didn't agree on the specific policy necessarily but we agreed on the purpose of the policy
0: if we're comparing uh, campaigning as a member of a party again to campaigning as an independent uh, how how do the two groups if you will fund their campaigns we spoke a little bit briefly last time about how a party can support a a member Yeah, uh, so
1: um, funding the campaign would be, would be along these lines. If you're in a safe seat, you would be expected to uh, have fundraising functions within your own electorate and people would come along and contribute. As a party S- member. Yeah, okay. small amounts of money. Um, so you're not going to get a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, there, if you're a member already, there are printing entitlements, communications entitlements, if you like, or allowances, that are provided to all MPs, so you'd use those as
0: well. Funded by the government. Uh, yeah, not by, by the taxpayers. The individual parties. Because okay. you've
1: got to run an office, and, and it's understood that you do need to communicate um, with people. You know, In the old days of Australia Post, it was a postage allowance. Well, mm-hmm. now it's a broader communication allowance because not too many people... the old stamp and put it on an envelope but Mm. so it's a communications allowance
0: and that allowance is specific to the election campaign or it's no it's for the whole term right so
1: if you um use it up if all before an election that probably wasn't too smart Mm -hmm. um you are entitled to uh, communicate you know and provide information to people about what you've been doing and what you're proposing to do for the future
0: Mm. um independence Suppose that sways things a little bit in the direction in the favour of incumbents? Yeah, it, it is, that's yeah. right. Um, Do you think that's problematic at all or? Uh,
1: look, it's just the way it is. I mean you're going to say to people, um, you can't use any of the resources of your office, you, you know you, uh, you've got employed members of staff, Are you going to say um, you're all laid off right. in the period leading up to an election, not just the election campaign but the whole period because i'm not i'm not to communicate with uh, the people i represent mm. i think it's widely accepted that this is okay you know and legitimate uh, if you're an independent it depends again on the seat if it's a safe coalition or a safe labor seat the independent will probably um struggle to be known unless they are perhaps already well known you know like a sporting person or a Someone from the media or, or, you know, a very successful business person. But you don't see a lot of that. Mm. Um, And the ones you do see, they often get pretty horrified about what's expected of them and don't necessarily um, stick around for very long. The, The unusual feature of this particular election is that these independents who are all women are running in what would ordinarily be safe liberal seats. So this is a big exception to the rule. They're running in safe liberal seats because they are moderate in their attitudes. So they're, you know, like just centre-right, but very moderate, believing climate change, women's issues, need for an anti-corruption commission. By and large, so do the liberals in those seats, but because there's this right-wing... Um, influence within the Liberal Party and the National Party, the independents are saying, whatever your personal beliefs, when you go to Canberra, you vote with the hard right. And so that's why I'm challenging you. Um, Now, how are they funded? They are independent, but they, I think, are getting some financial support um, from Simon Holmes at Court and uh, and Climate 200 Group. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they're not required to do anything or to adopt a party policy because it's not a party
0: mm, right and if you were uh, uh, running as a party member but hadn't yet been elected and it's your first time running and you get a little bit of support where does the so the party has funds presumably where do those funds come from
1: uh, donations and again also you know fundraising functions mm-hmm. um, so they might have a big dinner um, in Sydney somewhere and um or melbourne you know that's where the kind of money is i've got a puppy dog here who wants you to participate have, you just have to ignore her. <laughs> <laughs> billy oh billy said can i speak too <laughs> woof woof um billy's been reprimanded sent to the naughty dog corner um so those that, that can be very big uh, functions and people come along and pay you know to attend um, and then just donations um, from companies, trade unions. The ALP gets substantial donations from trade unions,
0: um, from from of, groups that feel that party represents their more their, their interests. yeah, that's right. And do like you think more their interests or often, their values?
1: Business will often um, donate to both sides, particularly if they're listed on the stock exchange, because okay. their shareholders might you know be of all sorts and then get upset. If they just support one, uh, one political party and not the other, so they might um, provide equal amounts. It's I think that's increasingly the case. Not a so token that's kind amount of a strategic, to one. And,
0: we want equal. Treatment. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, so that can happen too. I'm very strong on. I actually think that those donations should be declared in what's called real time, hmm. not six months or many months later.
0: Hmm. Yeah. What's the transparency? Well, there's,
1: uh, Labor and others have tried to get, and the Greens have tried to get through the Senate, um, you know, the, dropping the threshold at which you need to make donations. And there's also... These make declarations. Uh, declarations of the donations, I'm sorry. Right. But there's um, also um, kind of entities which are associated with a political party uh, that don't have the same obligations of declaring the donations. So um, businesses might pour, or business people might pour money into them and then they have a board and the board, surprise, surprise, says, why don't we make a big donation to the Liberal Party? Hmm. And so that's basically avoiding transparency Hmm. and I believe that I don't think in a free society we can say, as some are saying... That businesses and unions cannot donate to a political party. I don't even know constitutionally that you could do that. Mm. Um, there've been proposals like that, but I like the idea of shining light on it, and then people can make their own judgments mm. about, you know, whether it's excessive or whether the particular donors are really uh, expecting a, a policy return on that.
0: Mm. Okay on then to the topic of campaign strategies so you're trying to get elected for the first time or otherwise what do you what do you do (laughs) how do you set out about campaigning and um perhaps we could compare some of the different approaches to your kind of general campaign strategy i've got these three messages i want people to hear yeah uh, i really just need to get out there so people know who i am Mm. i don't want to do too much i just want to represent my party i want to discredit my opponent yeah what are some of the and and if you have seen those the use of those strategies change in the preceding decades well the main changes are the um
1: communication of those right views mm-hmm. um which is very much more um through social media mm-hmm. now uh, when i started in 1998 uh, it was letterboxing pamphlets you know we'd get a pamphlet with a nice photo you would have probably been on the you know at, at a playing footy for logan brothers
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and you know the people at logan brothers say yeah we like craig and we know tom and ben and um so that you know that doesn't mean they're all going to vote for you but there's a disposition and we just put them in letter boxes mm. um and that still happens uh, a lot but um Interestingly, the Greens in the last ACT election, I thought, gee, they're not going to do very well because I didn't see anything in letterboxes, but they hit social media really hard Mm -hmm. and Mm face-to-face. So there's actually no substitute for face-to-face door-knocking. Um, What happens is if you go down a street, you you wouldn't be on your own. There'd be five or six of you, and you should really be one of those five or six. I've heard of door-knocking teams, but the candidate's not one of them. Mm. Mm, Not sure how effective that is. Um, Most people won't answer the door because they're not home. Um, So then you leave something under the door. So it's different from being in the junk mail in the letterbox, And, you know, a phone number, please don't hesitate to ring and so on. So even those people say, well, you know, he or she took the bother to come and see me. Um, And if you do have a conversation, it's interesting how people then talk about He or she came to my house and we talked, it's probably five minutes, ten minutes, you know. Mm. But that has a magnifying effect as well. Another more recent um, uh, technique is what's called phone banking, and so you'll get a whole lot of volunteers with those, say, three policy ideas or the critique of your opponents, and they will ring and try to have a bit of a conversation and maybe leave a message if the person says, oops, I think that's someone, politician, leave a message, a voice message. Mm-hmm. Now, that's very
0: commonly used now, very commonly. And would you say then that's the top priority is talking with people connecting with people in your community
1: look i I can only speak from personal experience here but in the last act election um a a candidate who happened to be a labor candidate i got stuff in my letter in my letterbox from her every third day and what did i think of that i thought she's really keen Mm. and i voted for her um, there was another ALP, uh, uh, you know, there's two or three ALP candidates in each and I didn't hear much of the other and I thought, I'm going to vote for that one because it looks like she's really keen. Mm. So that was just me. Others might have different views. I might just say it's all rubbish and it's going straight in the bin. But you do kind of look for a sense of enthusiasm and energy mm. in who you want to represent you.
0: And when you were running, were you... Uh, talking much about policy, or was it primarily just a matter of talking with people and getting to know them a little bit? And
1: yeah, um, not so much to getting to know them because, frankly, it'll be you know, there's a lot of people to get to know. It is, yeah, and uh, but I do remember uh, in the uh, suburb in which we lived, Callumvale, which is more liberal than Labor. There were <laughs> in the Christmas um, New Year period, it was so, so hot. And I was just door-knocking in Callumvale, And people said, oh, I've got the air conditioning on. Um, do you mind if you don't come in? But thank you for coming on such a hot day. And you go, oh, that's good. I just, and, you know, I was just sweating. And it sends a message. Mm. You know, this, this, this bloke's keen. Mm. So I think that's the main thing um, to impart because there'll be national advertising that you know right through your city and state about what your party you know stands for you can do a bit of that but they want to see that their um candidate or their member is enthusiastic and got energy
0: mm. on some do you think that people mostly get elected because the party's likely there's favor for the party yeah or for the individual you know there must be some individuals who okay people in that electorate just love that yeah, yeah. They're members, so they're not going to vote them out no matter what.
1: Yeah, there's never a, a no matter what if the seat is you know, sort of marginal. Mm-hmm. There are seats that, um, you know, like they they vote 65, 70% one way. So, so marginals. 50, the marginal be 55. Anything okay. from 50 to 55 is a bit. It edu- seems
0: winnable to the other side. Yeah,
1: that's right, and it just depends on you know the issues at the time, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so yeah, you just have to show that enthusiasm. I think, uh, and it's suggested that a good local member is worth about two percentage points. Mm-hmm. Right, so you if you're on, mm-hmm. if you're a good local member and you're on. Um, your seat was 50 50 your your two percentage points might matter mm. a lot because if there's a general swing of two percent against you you might hold on mm. and so there there is a lot of emphasis on being a good local member
0: being seen to be active mm. and being active right that said two percent is not that much so a lot of it is determined no by that's the general- right that's
1: right if the swings on it sweeps people away mm. i remember um uh, former Attorney-General Michael Lavarch um, in the seat, which is now Dixon, it was Fisher in those times. He said, people just came up to me when we lost and said, Michael, I'm really fond of you. I just want to change the government. I'm sorry. Right. And that's what
0: happens. Do you think that happens because primarily because of who's the proposed leader or the leader. um,
1: Or or just one of those, I'll call it an it's time. Yeah. You know, when people say, I think we need a change of government. Mm -hmm. And if that view sets in, they won't say, oh, yeah, but we'll keep our guy or our girl, you know. Um, And and the truth is, if you asked uh, an electorate of a 100,000 people, voters, say... To name your local member, to name the local member, you'd be lucky to get 2,000. Right, right. But if you asked them prompted, they voted for, they Yeah, would but say, if you prompted them and shut, they, oh, yeah, yeah, that, right. uh, yeah, I know, yeah, I mm-hmm. like her. But that's about it, you know. Because
0: we've spoken about this. People say, oh, I'm, I'm voting for Scott Morrison. Yeah, yeah. Well. You're <laughs> some, not. <laughs> you're not. Some people are.
1: And <laughs> people of Cook are voting for Scott Morrison. But, right.
0: Um, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So then you're, you're determining, well, how will I allocate my resources as a, uh, to, to my electorate, of course, but then also just to the party in general. Um, if much of the result depends on how well the party goes, mm-hmm. are you getting out and advocating for the party? Is that, that something that you can do to a large degree?
2: Look, uh, does I, it depend I think on your position in the party? does probably
1: doesn't make a big difference because the party is responsible. For doing that the party will have the resources to um, do television advertising it's incredibly expensive Uh, one election I remember I had enough money together to do a little ad in uh, the local cinema you know in the um, the ads at the start you know Cornetto ice creams Craig Emerson all the same you Mm -hmm. know and I don't know how effective that was but I would never have had money to do a television ad because unless you're in a regional seat say you're in gladstone then you could get on you know a television network there but in brisbane it's nine seven ten you know and they go your ad would go (laughs) you're paying for an ad to go right across Mm. southeast queensland Mm. well that's very poorly targeted I did some radio ads they were worth doing because we had a local radio station. But if you're in regional, country, regional areas, you you can do it because they've got dedicated radio and and even television stations.
0: When you're determining how to allocate resources, if you're setting out to discredit your opponent, is that something that you would primarily concern yourself with if you were not already (laughs) the uh, member in that area? Um, and do you have an, a view on whether or not someone should focus on that? Or that my yeah. opponent's got this track record. You just kind of depend on the situation. It'd or... have
1: to have, in my view, it'd have to have substance mm. to it,
0: which is. Cause it's what a lot of the campaign. Yeah. A lot of the cam- coverage at least yeah, looks like.
1: But a lot of the coverage is discrediting your opponent's party. Right. Um, unless someone i'll make up an example unless someone had just been exposed for um for example taking uh, trips around australia that were uh, booked up to the taxpayer as official trips but you went to the races Mm. every time and you know it looked like a sham and the department of finance demanded that you return the money that's something that you could bring to the attention of you know your electorate against your opponent, I don't think the electorate really likes dirty politics. You know, like alleging stuff that's got no real substance. I don't think that that would work, and you know, I don't believe it should be done.
0: Mm. How much do you think the political gaffes, so to speak, that tend to make headline news matter? It, it depends on
1: the context. Um, if if um, there's a thing in campaigns very elusive momentum mm. and if you've got momentum and there's a gaff, they'll it'll get mentioned but you can tend to move on mm. but if it looks like an arm wrestle then these you know get magnified because it looks like that party mightn't have a momentum and the other party will so it's like a momentum stopper or gainer mm. because there's the opposite of gaffes as. Um, you know, some really um, often a bit humorous, but a very colourful reference that people will just run um, on the television networks and it just connects to the people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, someone, there's a movie called Pulp Fiction, and um, Jason Clare said this is like a scene out of Pulp Fiction. I remember the movie, but my point is, it, it was humorous, and my view is. Um, you know the Australian people aren't big haters. If you can say something with a bit of humor that makes a broader point, that's perfectly legitimate. Mm. But yeah, I'm not it's not that negative advertising doesn't work. I remember saying to the Queensland sta- State secretary one time when I was first starting out, I said, "Why do we have all this negative advertising?" And he said, "Because it works." Said, right. okay, now I know." <laughs> <laughs> right. But again, a lot of people who don't pay much attention and they just pick. Just that hear up. one thing and yeah, remember, remember yeah, it. Yeah. Mm.
0: You mentioned momentum. How do you gauge how a campaign is going? How do you gauge momentum? Um, it's a tricky question. I it think, is I hard. It,
1: it, it's really the circumstances. Um, so, in the current context, it might be best by use an example. Um, the the inflation figure. Um, for the last three months has just come out. And it's really high. It's the highest in 20 years. Um, the political party who presided over that, which is the you know Liberal National Party, is so not going to get momentum out of it. Um, the Labor Party will say, well, here's the problem. Prices are running ahead of wages, so you're going backwards. So when that figure recently came out, you would get the sense that Labor would get some momentum out of that and, you know, the government sort of saying, well, there's all these external forces, it's not us, and so they're on the defensive. Um, uh, You know, so those sorts of... It it can be a development like that. Back in the 2007 election uh, that uh, Labor won with Kevin Rudd as the became Prime Minister, the Reserve Bank increased interest rates just by a bit during the election campaign and john howard was the prime minister he's never forgotten he still talks about it mm. it was a momentum killer mm. for him
0: what are the ingredients you would say then for not a an individual but for a party to become elected to to win government uh and does the leader a charismatic leader or a trustworthy leader yeah um,
1: I, 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 i'm not people do ask me you know um about charisma mm. And I say, think John Howard in 1996. You know, bespeckled. Be um, you know, not, not You know, not a champion weightlifter or you know or anything like that. Um, but he was sort of regarded as steady. Mm. Now that's a long way short of charisma. Mm. And they were in government for uh, 12 years, I think. Mm. And I don't think John actually gained a lot of charisma. During that period, he was just seen to be um, steady and an honest toiler. And then, in the end, they said, "No, nah, we're ready to change the government." So, this charisma stuff, I, I, I'm not big on. And they, oh, Bob Hawke was charismatic. That's true, but um, people were well and truly over the division um under the fraser government of workers versus business and it looked like it was just destroying the joint you know and bob Hawke said come on let's bring people together let's bring australians together let's stop the arguing let's have a common purpose i think that was more important a more important message than you know um being one of the one of the blokes
0: right do you have any memories from campaigning with bob (laughs) Hawke for a prime minister yeah um You would have been quite young involved in in that sort of campaign in the office. What was that like?
1: Well, I traveled with him. He asked me to travel with him both campaigns in 1987 and 1990. So I was the only one who traveled with him on every day during both those campaigns.
0: You Um, you joined his um, office after he was... Yeah, I joined in 1986
1: 1986 and he was made prime minister in 83. Okay um so two election campaigns and yeah i learned a lot and stamina is one of them (laughs) you know you you you're working hard every day because you want to make every day a winner and you do not want to make mistakes Mm. so one of my real responsibilities is to avert stuff ups uh, because you've got different ministers Talking in different parts of Australia at the same time. Those days there were no mobile phones, so I'd have to run and find a phone booth or whatever and ring the, you know, and just say Bob has just said this about wages, and then you know let Paul Keating's office know that so they, are, you know, saying make sure everyone's on the same page. Exactly. Um, there were some. Uh, we're at Kakadu once, and um, for, during an election campaign, and I looked around. And I'd been doing this, you know, coordinating and communicating, looked around, very quiet. They'd all gone. And I said, <laughs> this guy so you can I help? And I said, can you help? They're going to take off on the airstrip. So we jumped into this four-wheel drive and hurtled along a dirt road because they'd forgotten about me. <laughs> so that was one of my roles. And so to minimise mistakes and... Also, um, a big role was to get information on what the um, opposition was saying, Mm. because they'd stuff up from time to time. They'd have two different people saying two different things. I'd put the transcript into Bob's hand just before he was about to do a press conference, and he would amplify that. So, Mm. look, they don't know what they're doing, and they're all over the place so those are the sorts of roles that i played and i suppose another one was just sort of keeping people sane. you know Mm. took the guitar both times Mm um because you just can't work what were really mostly 16 hour days maybe 14 hour days Mm. day in day out and not have a few laughs Mm. so you know you've got to get that balance right and be able to sleep at night and that's important so the kind of sense of that we've got the team mm. that can do it, and we're not waiting for a disaster or an, you know anxious about a, disa- a looming disaster all the time.
0: How much would you be advising, Bob, directly? Oh, I think you should focus on this, or would he be asking you? How should I frame this uh, on, on economic on, this
1: topic? on economic and environmental issues, particularly as um, statistics came out or some you know interest rate decisions came out and so on i would communicate back to the economist in the office because you know just to double check but he'd say what do you reckon and we'd we'd, i'd give him a few lines a few thoughts i also um prepared a folder which was quite thin but it had all the key statistics and the quotes from our opponents that were problematic for them and so on and he'd had it all marked up and underlined and so on. So if he did radio, for example, he'd have that in front of him. Mm.
0: Did you ever have to or feel uh, compelled, let's say, to say, "Oh, I don't know if you're going about this the right yeah, way"? I or, did. Yeah, yeah,
1: hmm. uh, a few times. It's a bit. How did that go? <laughs> quite cathartic. Bob was always good about it. Um, so you would have been how I old? Uh, how old I, during those early thirties? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't get. I thought my role in part was to keep bob and the show kind of laughing Mm. you know like just but when i saw things going wrong i would say so very very directly and bob would say oh shit (laughs) you know this Mm. this is serious now i'm not saying "Oh, this is all me there were um, other people on the campaign who would do that with me jeff walsh and barry cassidy in particular Mm. but if things were going off the rails we'd just close the doors And have a very very direct conversation and Bob because we only did that sparingly he knew it was important and he would listen Mm. he was really good that way you know and I'd never subscribe to the um, approach of shouting at him all the time it's not going to wouldn't give him any confidence Mm. and he would go here they go again you know the bloody armchair experts on the bloke you know in front of the cameras Mm. there's no point in a minor error, or maybe talked a bit too long, whatever. Really, you're going to just raise that, you know. If it hasn't, if it's not systemic, or it hasn't created a lot of grief, just leave it alone. Mm. You know, no one's perfect. You're here in front of a camera, and you've got 23 journalists, you know, shouting at you, mm. uh, and weird thing, weird things happening. <laughs> there was one time, uh, you know, there's always always protests, right to life protests, and so on. And then this guy um, just did this big demonstration in favor in front of the car C one car, you know. And, oh shit! And he said, "Go, labour. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of demonstration
0: we need." You know? You're trying to figure out what he was on about. Yeah, it's oh, on, on, with on, no, on
2: Um So,
0: was that experience for you? Uh, formative and determining or had you already I guess my question is why did you choose to join the party that you did Um, was there any was that ever a live (laughs) conversation in your mind about uh, who you would back or who I would never have joined
1: the Liberal or National parties Mm -hmm. it would always be Labor Uh, when I started working for the Hawke government I wasn't in the Labor Party Mm -hmm. I was um, and my boss was uh, the Finance Minister Peter Walsh and one day it came up uh, and he said are you in the party I said no and he said yeah that's good like Mm -hmm. that's fine Mm -hmm. because he wanted professional advice you know he didn't want a party there were other people from the party who could give him party advice
0: Mm. and by the Um, way I'd love to we'll talk at some point about working for a politician in a politician's office because that's kind of a whole separate topic. Uh, so
1: um, but I did uh, I was approached by a fellow who played volleyball with me at the anu i was the um the head of the anu volleyball club the president
0: and he was in the club you'd and you'd been elected or was that a, a self-appointed role
1: uh yeah self-appointed, self-appointed. yeah okay. yeah so but, political career still hadn't started yeah, well really, it yeah. was in, we started with two teams <laughs> ended up with 13 oh, okay yeah <laughs> and became the dominant track record <laughs> yeah it was, it was good and a lot of fun but he um uh, his name is Stephen Conroy, and he became a senior cabinet minister. Uh, but he asked me to join the party and i thought like, yeah okay mm-hmm. and it was it was funny because he said, "Oh, we have to counter stack against the left um, yeah, so I was in the sort of the right you know more market orient and so I went to this branch meeting, and not all oh, the evil left are here and I thought like, they're quite nice people." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i then stayed in the party and i know bob in the last few years so probably the last three years he sta- he's he was saying you should go into
0: politics the last three years of where you were when you were working for when him, i was working Ms. for office. him you
1: should go into politics yeah mm-hmm. and he said i'm so happy that you're you know taking such a political interest because i was advising as an economist and An environmental advisor Mm -hmm. mainly some social policy stuff as well but you know he saw that I became interested in um, we had a the 1990 election the interest rates were 17% you shouldn't win an election when interest rates are 17% and a whole lot of voters had said well we're really upset with you but we're not certain about um, the liberals Uh, So they kind of were parking their vote in a party called the Democrats, and we were trying to win. If we couldn't get them to come back to Labor, if they're going to vote Democrat one, please vote Labor two. And uh, as I said, I was environmental advisor, and I'd worked very closely with um, the conservation movement. And the people who'd left were very much interested in that and um we did really great things you know like tasmanian forests and wet tropics of north queensland um shelburne bay on on cape york and kakadu Um, and then this big campaign on antarctica to try to overturn what was going to become a signed minerals convention that would have allowed regulated mining in antarctica and Mm. we said no mining Mm. in antarctica so i helped Wren lot of that with graham richardson the environment minister anyway the point of all that was um and bob was really pleased with it we got the second preferences of the people who said i'm not thinking of not voting labor this time so they kind of lodged their grumpy vote Mm -hmm. with the democrats and none of the democrats got elected um, but we got their second preferences and won well
2: Mm.
0: so that and that was during that time that becoming a politician became a live idea yeah inspired is that that Uh, well i was
1: yeah i mean i'm very keen on environmental protection so i was very inspired motivated proud and really liked the conservation movement's leaders um who included bob brown um peter garrett a fellow named Philip Toyne, the head of the Australian Conservation Foundation, another one who was head of the National Farmers Federation, Rick Farley, and Peter and... um, Sorry, Rick Farley and Philip Toyne became good friends, so we did a decade of land care where the environment movement and the farmers joined forces and we announced uh, the funding of a decade of land care and reforestation. So it's just so gratifying where you've got these traditional adversaries and you can bring them together um, to propose a policy that we announced and
0: implemented and was so successful. Hmm. So at that time you thought, oh, I'd like to do more of this. Yeah, that's right. I'd at be, some point I'll see, if, know, I get, um, see yeah, if I can I'd get I'd write elected. speeches
1: for Bob and all that sort mm. of stuff and he'd deliver them, but he had a lot of confidence in me and I thought, well, gee, maybe I could write speeches for myself.
0: Or <laughs> <laughs> we'll have someone else do it.
2: <laughs>
1: no, I, I, <laughs> no, no. I, I never did that actually. It's no. legitimate to do it, to mm. have, but I always, uh, I learned actually from John Howard, um, he would walk into a big function that I'd be at, say, at. In Parliament House and I'm not saying he had no notes but he might have had just one sheet of paper and he would speak uh, for 20 minutes mm. and it was so coherent and logical and I thought I want to learn that mm. so in Parliament was my best place to do it just take in after a while once you're less nervous just a piece of paper with three points on it so you you know got that little structure mm. and just
0: practice speaking is that the way you viewed it as well? I've got to practice, practice this and get good at this. Yeah,
1: yeah. because a lot of the stuff I spoke on was quite obscure mm. uh, legislation. But, you know, the, it, it's good to be able to stand up there and I guess it's like riding a bike or anything else. Once you get the skills, you don't lose the skills. Mm. So, yeah, I, I, th- I that's why I didn't have people write speeches for me. I might ask them to get a bit of information, a couple of facts together, or something like that. But I would.
0: You weren't reading speeches, so you couldn't have them written <laughs> by no, someone no, else. No, I never read speeches out. Yeah. Mm. You said you wouldn't have ever um, joined the Liberal Party or the National Party. Do you think? Wh- why do you think that is? Why do you think the Labor Party resonated with you? I think it's your background well, I, I or had, certain experiences.
1: I had friends in the Liberal Party
0: who really. You're an economist, right? So I guess yeah, you would get lots of economists who would.
1: There are not many economists in Parliament, actually. Yeah, okay. Um, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> um, now they're out making money. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, well that's why, why I said that. Why didn't I that, think yeah. of that? Um, liberal. What I'm saying is that a moderate Liberal and I would have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Bruce Baird uh, was, I think he was a transport minister and very much associated with the Uh, Olympic Games in Sydney in year 2000. We became really good friends, but he was actually I hope Bruce doesn't mind, but he was kind of pushed aside. He never made minister because he I think because he was considered too progressive Um, and so there are people like that Um, Darren Chester is a national Um, He's a very moderate guy very decent guy Um, he argued for marriage equality you know, most of them were against it. So it's not that I would want to join the Liberal Party because in the Liberal Party there's really hard right-wingers, you know, like um, uh, I brought, brought up a Catholic, so I think I can legitimately say really um, religiously bigoted, you know, against other religions and so on, and and I, I, I could never do that. Um, I knew a bit about the Bible, and you can't find... In the New Testament the sort of stuff that they go on about you might find it in the Old Testament written you know two or three five thousand years ago but who would who who would you know eye for an eye tooth for a tooth you know smite them and all this sort of stuff you know is that how we want to live our lives Hmm. so um, but what I loved about the Labour Party was that our values are always the same like it's a very comfortable home um, because they are about, um, you know, disadvantaged people, underprivileged people, um, people who've had setbacks in their lives um, with mental health problems and so on, not judging them, not saying that they're no-hopers or they're, you know, parasites. On I'm not saying the Liberals say that, but there's this view that um, we work hard and then there's all these no-hopers that just, you know, get money from us. Well... If you look at their circumstances, you look at their childhoods, you wouldn't want to go through it. You really wouldn't. And that's the the situation for so many people who are really disadvantaged, you know, particularly I think of single mums, you know, who are looking for a bit of stability, you know, and a loving partner and, you know, they come and go and they mistreat them and so on. They're not no-hopers. They're just people who are in very difficult circumstances and should be supported.
0: Do you think your uh, upbringing, you grew up in a small country town, pretty poor, yeah got an education, ended yeah. up where you ended up, that played a yeah. role, a big role. Absolutely. You were yeah. one of those people.
1: Yeah, we weren't um, poor by the standards of um, the town. We were okay because mum and dad both worked. Um, but I think of the um, Indigenous people who lived around the edges of the town. Well, why was that, you mm-hmm. know? Um and uh, some other people um, also on the edges of the town who, you know, really horrible circumstances, you know, that they were born into and the prejudice. Um, and and sure, they, they there might be a manifestation of, you know, in some of those towns there'd be a bit of violence on, around the edges and so on. But again, if you were to put yourself in the circumstances as a little kid growing up on the fringes of a pretty poor country town, you'd have a different perspective, you know, and that's the perspective I got. I think also the fact that I went to a little convent school and the nuns were, you know, all God's children. There was no judgment, and I really liked that.
0: Hmm. Bit of a shift. Um, (laughs) Well, a couple of questions. One story I remember your—I don't know if it was your first campaign—but uh, you had in your um, in your car a speaker. Do you remember this? Oh you yeah, could speak out to the public. Yeah, I was always so excited about that. Do you remember if that was your first? That first was campaign? yeah. You probably wouldn't f- have bothered bothered down the track.
1: We drive up and and down Compton Road, I think, and hmm. um, Pine Road, and so on, and just. Yeah, that
0: was crazy, wasn't it? <laughs> I, I can't believe someone driving. What would you say? I'm Craig. <laughs> yeah, I'm,
1: I think we had Craig Emerson on the. Hello, I'm Craig Emerson. Uh-huh. I'm your. I'm the candidate for ranking. It's <laughs> blaring <on.
0: laughs> through the streets. Ben and I were always asking if we could. Uh, ben, my brother, yeah, always asking if we could say, "Oh,
1: hello." <laughs> <laughs> you
0: know, you, I think you'd probably wait until there was no was one just, on the street and say, who, "Okay, go
1: ahead." <laughs> who knows what effect that had? Um, <laughs> But, you know, like, it, it certainly kept me occupied. And when mm. you're the candidate, you do not want to be sitting at home. Mm. You know, the first thing I did when I got pre-selected... <laughs> so you're just driving through the streets <laughs> yeah. yelling out your name through <laughs> yeah, a
0: <exactly>. <laughs>
1: megaphone. <laughs> you won't believe the first thing uh, when I got pre-selected. I went to a department store and bought a door. Now, no, it wasn't a lucky door prize. It was a door that I put on two trestles to make a table. And then we would... Um, do pamphlets and i was going to use that to fold up the pamphlets on the table i never folded one pamphlet on that table but you did it like you're quite crazy i've got to do stuff so, what, so you, what, bought a door. you go and buy a door <laughs> and put it sideways and think that could come in handy and it never did
0: you were inexperienced <laughs> i was very inexperienced
1: but you know madly keen as yep. everyone is right like you know, fewer
0: like, doors and fewer megaphones yeah, probably no, later no lucky door prizes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought before we wrap up I, I wanted to ask about the difference between a member of parliament and a senator um, yeah. because someone could run for the senate, someone can run for parliament, uh, for election as member of parliament can you just explain to a, an uh, uninformed yeah. person <laughs> what the difference is um, well strictly speaking they're all members of
1: parliament Okay, um, but mp does signify that you're a member of the house of representatives senator says that you're a member of the senate okay so you know you have these people who are just um, everyday people and suddenly it's senator wilson or senator Senator jones or whatever you know that sounds pretty important um, they don't say MP Emerson.
2: Yeah, it's um, not as nice. It's
1: got some kind of aura about it. So, honourable,
0: though, or do you become honourable uh, in you either gotta, case? You've got
1: to hit the front bench.
0: Okay. Yeah. Then you're honourable. Forever. Yeah. <laughs> <Which> <laughs> you can't is, be dishonourable. <laughs> <You're> dis- <laughs> yeah.
1: Isn't that amazing?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. You've, got-, <laughs> <So> <laughs> you've the, got free reign. <laughs>
1: the way the Constitution's written is um, whatever the uh, number of. Um, Members of the House of Representatives, MPs, there's half the number in the Senate, half that number in the Senate. Okay. Um, and You said it was one, how many? MPs? 151 now, I think there's 76. Okay. Yep. yep. Uh, that, that <laughs> 70, works. 75
0: to 76. <laughs> yeah, 76
1: senators. Um, so legislation emanates in the House of Representatives. The Senate cannot initiate legislation. Best way of thinking of the Senate is a House of Review. Okay. So the government of the day will initiate legislation. Um, the opposition sometimes tries, might be on an anti corruption commission, but you've got to try to get it on as an order of business, you know, into the. And if you can't do that, then, you know, you're nowhere. So usually the um, opposition doesn't initiate legislation. It can try and then say, we tried. The government does. Um, surprise, surprise. If it's the government, it has a majority, even if it has to rely on some independents. It has a majority in the House of Representatives. The the legislation passes.
0: And if you have a strong majority, you're basically doing what you want almost in the House of Representatives. Yeah, is yeah. That right? This actually this happened with John Howard.
1: It. This is, when John Howard won in 2004... Um, he had a a view that the industrial relations system should really be between an employer and an employee. This was called work choices, but the bargaining power between a big employer and a small employee is very uneven. He, I think, had a genuine belief that employers wouldn't mistreat employees, but they did, Mm -hmm. and that became work choices. Mm -hmm. Now, what happened is that, He had a thumping majority in the House of Representatives, but he also had unusually a majority in the Senate. Mm -hmm. And work choices got passed, and that was the end of John Howard because businesses, for better or worse, richer or poorer, did mistreat, not all of them obviously, but employees. They put them on individual contracts and really harsh conditions. And I can see some businesses probably were going out the door like every year, there are businesses that, and they probably were cutting back on the wages and could. Um, so he he substantially lost the election because he had control of the two houses.
0: Um, Why is that uncommon
1: or uh, less? Common? Because in the Senate, it's a different voting system, mm. and it's called proportional representation. Mm. Um, uh, well, it's it, it would take too long to explain. Okay, um, but essentially in the Senate. It, it's, a, it's a system of voting that's very common in Europe. So um, in each state there, there will be, let's say it's a half of the senators up for election, not the full Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll have six senators and um, it means that there will be um, some minor parties and even independents will get elected, more likely in that way. So in Europe there are always alliances that have to be formed or coalitions that have to be formed. There's quite a lot to say in favour of that because if people do want independence, they can kind of get them in the Senate Mm -hmm. or minor parties. So, you, you know, so you get One Nation, even Clive Palmer's party gets a couple elected from time to time. The Greens, about six or eight, I don't know the number. So the Senate is a different composition is not liberal labor national with one green you know you have these minor parties jackie lambie in tasmania is an independent brian Harradine used to be an independent there
0: so if you have six senate uh, senate positions yeah how are they determined just briefly
1: uh well let me use the act is probably the easiest because because i know it better and there's um only two senators from the ACT. Mm-hmm. To get elected, you need th- one-third of the vote, okay. one-third. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there were
0: six, you need one-sixth? Yeah, or?
1: probably, I guess so. And, okay. and so, so that's, that's why right. you can get
0: elected with fewer votes. Yeah, you don't that's need right. to get 51%. Exactly,
1: exactly. So because of that, um, and it's a House of Review, the Senate often can either reject legislation... Just say we're voting against it, or quite often they'll move amendments to it. Now they can't. That's not the end of the deal, right? Because the amended legislation goes back to the oops, so it goes back to the House, and then the government has to decide whether it's going to accept the amendments or not. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I think kind it's kind of a good ping-ponging thing. back
0: and forth between the
1: two ha- can between be. the House yeah, representatives and the yeah. Senate. And um, and I, I actually think that's a good thing mm-hmm. um, because. Uh, Usually the amendments don't just come out of thin air. They actually have a Senate inquiry into it. And they'll invite, you know, interest groups who are affected by it or have views. And it might the inquiry might run for three months. Mm. And very often you hear the government of the day saying this is improved legislation. Mm. But if it's legislation that is really hostile that, you know, let's say the Senate or the prevailing Senate has a lot of Labour and Greens in it. And this is very conservative you know legislation. Um, it might just get rejected mm. outright.
0: So is that another potential scenario you said um, in the case of John Howard in that instance, there was a strong it was a majority in both houses. Yeah, yeah if you had a majority in uh, say the conservatives had a majority in the um, House of Representatives mm. and then progressives had a majority in the yeah. Senate, do these situations arise where they just block everything?
1: No. Not Usually really. not. And not everything that a conservative government puts forward should be blocked. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just if it's... As I say, if it's kind of moderate liberal, it may well pass. Mm-hmm. And the the Labor Party might say, well, this isn't really what we would initiate, but guess what? We're not in government. Mm-hmm. But we'll, we'll, we'll cop it. Mm-hmm. And if there's parts of it that the Labor Party doesn't like, it might say... If elected we will amend those parts mm-hmm. and I'm a bit of a fan of that like as long as it's not doesn't hurt disadvantaged people I think this is just a personal view that the government of the day should be given the benefit of the doubt and you shouldn't just be narky mm-hmm. now um, in the case of Tony Abbott he was just saying election now election now um, when there was a minority Gillard government but he didn't really have a majority in the senate so labor and the greens got legislation through Mm. and so you know while it was a minority government um it got more legislation through than just about any other government by Mm. just
0: negotiating Mm. and we probably hear mostly about the the legislation where there's conflict not the stuff that gets passed straight away it's got
1: to be newsworthy right? right like you can't be a successful commercial channel, or even the ABC, mm. and report on something that's really boring or mechanical, like um, how we're going to change the Tax Act to have a more um, using digital technology to detect tax avoidance. Mm. Well, who's going to say that's a bad? I'm thing already anyway? bored. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> that's the thing you, can you can't really- make you can't make news out of it. Mm. I'd guess, Tom, that. Um, Seventy to eighty percent of legislation just goes through,
0: mm. which is—it's not unfortunate that ha- that happens, but that the mechanics are such that people often perceive that oh, our politicians are just arguing. They the just whole, argue; whole time all and they're the not getting time, anything yeah.
1: done. Uh, and, and one final observation about that: uh, when I first came in in um, nineteen ninety-eight, uh, the government had been re-elected. The Howard government had been re-elected, not, sitting in the House of Representatives right up the back, because from the junior woodchuck. And the, sh- that the noise, you know, the shouting across, the- and I thought, oh, I'm not going to be part of that. Like, they're just behaving really badly. And the media then reported that Labor was, you know, completely demoralised and, you know, it was terrible and so on. And I thought, what? no we can't look like we're demoralized so within a week i'm shouting across <laughs> at the others too it's the theater mm. of the parliament it's it, literally you walk out of that place after i got to know people you might walk out with a liberal and saying how you know how's the kids mm. that, that sort of thing because you got to know them on one of the committees that was traveling around australia mm. um so it, it, there's a lot of theater in it
0: mm. okay final question before we wrap up for this episode why do you think someone would choose to run for the Senate as opposed to the House Representatives, of House Representatives as opposed to the Senate? Do you think it's mostly just to do with odds of winning, chances of winning? Or-
1: uh, yeah, if you... Uh, let's say you were um, a member of the Liberal Party or the Labor Party and you got pre-selected to run for the Senate, um, in most states the Liberals will get two and Labor will get two and then... The third one, maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. The Greens might get one or it could be even One Nation. But if you're in the first two, you're elected. <laughs> nearly always, mm-hmm. except in a disaster situation. Mm-hmm. But nearly always you're elected. You're elected for six years. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, you can never be Prime Minister from the Senate, but you could. you've got a position for six years. Mm-hmm. And then if you do well enough as a senator and don't slack off and so on y- you then get elected to get and your party's happy with you you get elected for another six years That's 12 years mm. that's your answer mm. okay <laughs> that
0: clarifies things all right well thanks very much um, okay. i understand now <laughs> well, i hope it helps yeah <laughs> yeah and yeah we'll do another one soon and you can continue explaining things to me i think it'll be useful to elucidate perhaps in the next episode or we'll, we'll decide what the topic will be but um difference between left and right we spoke about conservatives and progressives yeah. going through some issues and explaining those positions yeah sure as charitably as possible so yeah and that's
1: my of. view and mm. and um just as a bit of a, a you know um an insight into that left and right used to be in the cold war era you know like almost um socialists versus you know um uh, freedom people mm. and but whole ideology has changed a lot since then and you wouldn't regard the labor party as you know hard left um much of the liberal party as i said is very moderate and you'd be you'd struggle to find big differences between the most moderate of the liberals Mm -hmm. and labor people Mm -hmm. okay
0: we'll talk about it next time Well, those people listening Thanks for listening. Um, Please consider leaving us a a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts if you're listening there. Uh, Liking uh, the video on YouTube. Drop us a comment. Ask uh, for future topics or share your thoughts on topics we've already discussed. And, of course, subscribe wherever you listen to or watch podcasts. Um, Thanks for listening and we'll, we'll see you next time. See you then. Thanks, Dad.